I invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 21. Leviticus 21, you may be able to note that we are skipping over chapter 20. Uh, it uh, deals with the laws that we talked about in chapter 19. It just um, gives the punishments related to them. And uh, since we've also already covered those uh, commands, uh, I thought it'd be best if we move forward to now the commands for the high priest. So chapter 19 uh, was addressed to Israel in general. Now we have commands specifically related to the high priest. And, uh, and so this, uh, and this section goes actually from 21 through 22. Uh, for sake of time this morning, we're going to just read chapter 21, and I'll be focusing our attention on chapter 21. Let's give our attention to God's Word. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has no husband. For her he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, and therefore they shall be holy." They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire." The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord." And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled, or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God." For no one who has a blemish shall draw near. A man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face, or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot, or an injured hand, or a hunchback, or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles, no man of the offspring of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings, since he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God." He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, so that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. (coughs) Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our God in heaven, as we come to your word, we need your spirit to teach us, to instruct us. Uh, Lord, I I pray that today again you'd show us the wonder of our Lord Jesus and what it means to belong to him. We pray in his name. 
Amen. Well, I had an interesting experience yesterday. Um, for the first time in my life, uh, I went to the big house to watch a football game. Uh, went with the boys, and it was, it was great. It was homecoming, so all the pageantry and the, uh, just the sights and the sounds, I think there's something very unique about a college football game. And, uh, and we won, barely, but we won, so that was, that was good. Um, but there was, it was also a disconcerting experience, uh, particularly the halftime show. Uh, the halftime show was uh, led by the marching band, and it was dedicated to the LGBTQ a community and agenda. And so there were a bunch of people, uh, dancers out with gay pride flags, waving them and, and special music uh, for that occasion. And the announcer proudly professed the uh, university's full um, unremitted support for LGBTQ and, uh, and then professed the new creedal confession of our age, love is love and love wins. And it felt utterly and absolutely pagan. It felt like being in Ephesus at a celebration of Diana or in Rome during a festival of the pagan gods. And it was exactly that. And I realized at a fundamental level, and, we, and, uh, we and the, I and the boys talked about it on our way out, uh, we don't belong to this culture. We don't ascribe to love is love. We ascribe to Jesus is Lord. And those two confessions are utterly incompatible. They cannot be put together. Well, our text this morning is a text about being set apart. That's what holiness means. If we had read the, chap- the verses just before our chapter, Leviticus 20, verse 26, God says, You shall be holy to me, to the Israelites, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So the title of our message this morning is A Life Set Apart. Israel, you see, was singled out from all the other nations of the world, not because there was anything unique or special about them, but simply because of God, His grace. But He had called them out to be His very own possession. They had been set apart to be God's distinct people. Uh, They didn't belong anymore to the world, to the nations, but they belonged in a very unique way to God, set apart by God and for God, set apart for His glory, for His purposes in the world. And Israel's unique calling in the world as a set-apart people was to be manifested and modeled by all of Israel and particularly by the priests. And so here in chapter 21, we have God speaking specifically to the priests. Uh, And these two chapters, 21 and 22, are divided into six sections, three three sections per chapter. And each section is um, demarcated in some way by the phrase, I am the Lord who sanctifies you, or I am the Lord who sanctifies them, or it. But the idea of God setting something apart. So when we hear the word sanctification, most of us think of that progressive work of grace in our heart that God does by His Holy Spirit, making us increasingly more like Jesus. That's the progressive work of sanctification, making us increasingly holy. Well, um, that's, that's obviously a, a true meaning of the word, but the word here is used 
just in its most basic sense of setting apart. Making holy by taking out of common usage and dedicating to the use and service of God. And so God is saying to Israel as a whole, I've taken you out of common usage in a sense, out of the common life of this world, and I've called you to serve me in a unique way. And the priests are to model that truth. And so all the rules that we have in these two chapters are based on this, uh, this foundational reality that they're not like the rest of the world. There's a uniqueness, a God-given uniqueness. God has called them out, set them apart to Him for His purposes. And so their life is to reflect their calling. That's the whole point of the chapters. Their life is to reflect their calling. Chapter 21 is divided into three sections that we could, um, there are three characteristics of what a life set apart looks like. The first we'll look at is an unrivaled devotion to God. Secondly, an, an unstained life, a life of, uh, that's of unquestioned purity, and then an unblemished service. So a devoted life, an unstained life, and an unblemished life. We begin then with a life of unrivaled devotion. So God gives these rules in the first few verses about funerals. That a priest is not allowed to mourn for their dead except if it's immediate family. So they're not allowed to participate in the normal cultural mourning practices. They're not allowed to shave their head. They're not allowed to make cuts in their body. That would be a normal way of grieving. Uh, so if a close friend dies, you're not allowed to go to the funeral. If, if a beloved aunt or uncle dies or grandpa or grandma dies, you're not, you're not allowed to go to the funeral or participate in that grieving service. Only if it's a father and mother, and there's a, there's a, a descending order of importance here, father, uh, mother, father, son, daughter, brother, or a virgin sister, one who'd never been married, so still is a part of your immediate family. Now, the wife is not mentioned because uh, it is assumed that wife being of one flesh, that the, the priest would mourn her death. The bar is raised even higher for when it comes to the high priest. In verses 10 and 11, we see that uh, he is not allowed to grieve even for immediate family members. So, even if it's a mother or a father, meaning mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, it doesn't matter. Uh, the high priest would not be allowed to, um, to tear his robe, a sign of grief. He's not allowed to, to go to the body, be associated with the, dead, uh, the death in any way. Now, uh, those restrictions probably seem harsh, uncaring maybe. A mourning over the death of a loved one is such a normal and appropriate human response to death. There's something wrong about people who don't mourn the loss of loved ones. Uh, mourning and, and, and going through traditional um, mourning rituals and, um, and services is a way of honoring the dead. It's a way of saying their life mattered. It mattered to us and it mattered to God. So, so why does God forbid such a natural human response to death? Why aren't the priests allowed to participate? And the answer is given in verse 6. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offering, the bread of their God, and therefore they shall be holy. Remember, the priests have a specific and unique task. 
They're the ones who take the sacrifices that Israel brings and they offer it up to the Lord as food for God, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, not literal, obviously, but, it, but it, it points to their service of offering sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord, taking Israel's sacrifices and offering them up. And if you remember from a previous chapter, to, to, be, to touch a dead body or to be close to a dead body would mean that you're unclean. And being unclean, the priest would not be able to perform his duties. And so, uh, well, that's, you can't allow that to happen. You can't have priests who are AWOL because they've been at a funeral. Israel needs to be able to offer their sacrifices, and God needs to be worshipped. And so God is claiming uh, the rights of absolute devotion. He is claiming the right of preference and precedence over every human relationship. The priests are set apart to God, and it's essential for them to place that calling above every other calling in life. And it's essential for two reasons. It's essential, on on the one hand, for Israel. Priests are Israel's only way of worship and communion with God. They can't say, well, the priests aren't available today. Let's go in the backyard and we'll just offer our own sacrifice. God does not allow that. There's one place, and that's the appointed altar in the tabernacle, in the court of the tabernacle. And so they're entirely dependent upon the priests for their worship. For their sin to be atoned. The priests, you see, are God's gift to Israel. And their calling then takes the very highest priority even over their own family. But it's essential also for the glory of God. Remember when God struck down Moses, uh, Aaron's two sons for bringing unauthorized fire before him. God said... Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. The point being that the priests specifically are called to exalt God and the worth and the value and the glory of God. That's that's their calling. They're to stand in in the midst of the camp and continually remind people of the value and worth and glory of God. And that's what they're doing by obeying this command. They're saying, God is more important than even my own grief because my brother died or my aunt and uncle died. God is more important uh, than even my children dying if you're, if you're the high priest. Uh, it, just, it just highlights, you see, the value and worth of God. That, that though family and friends matter profoundly, God matters more. That's the first characteristic of a life set apart. The second characteristic is a a life that's unstained, a life of unquestioned purity. And so God talks about whom the priest can marry. And in verse 7, we're told they cannot marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, nor a divorced woman. Now, it it was not a sin to marry a prostitute or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled. Uh, If you remember, Salmon, a prince of Israel, married Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, after uh, Rahab had come to faith, and and she ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's not a sin to marry a divorced woman in Israel. But for a priest, such a marriage is not allowed. For the priest, it's not allowed. You won't find these restrictions uh, on the people in general. 
For the priests, you see, the issue, the issue seems to be that they need to avoid even the appearance of evil. And a prostitute or a woman who's been defiled or divorced has maybe the perception of moral stain, and that's not permitted for a priest. So as God says in verse 7 and 8, the priest is holy to his God, set apart uniquely to God. You shall sanctify him. In other words, you shall set him apart because he offers the bread of your God. There are to be models of sexual purity and an unstained life. Their special calling comes with a uh, a special obligation to live in a way that is um, seen to be pure, unstained. Now again, the rule for the high priest is even higher. He cannot marry a a, a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a prostitute. He also cannot marry a widow. And um, again, it's not a sin to marry a widow. And there's no moral stain attached to being a widow. So why this rule? Well, apparently in verse 15, we're told that he may not profane his offspring among his people. You see, the office of the high priest belonged to the direct descendants of Aaron, particularly the firstborn sons. And if a high priest would marry a widow, it is possible that the firstborn child would not be a firstborn son of the high priest. It could be a son of the deceased previous husband. And so God is protecting the lineage of the high priest. He had given this office to this specific genetic line, and God expects that to be Respected, to be preserved. It is holy unto the Lord. And so if you're a high priest, maybe you've fallen uh, in, in love with this, with this dear widow down, down the road a bit, uh, you are not allowed to marry her. It's just, it's not allowed. You're a priest. You're a high priest. You live a life set apart. Uh, this, this higher moral standard applies not only to the priests, but to their families. They, in a sense, represent him. And so in verse 9, the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. It does not mean that she'll be burned at the stake, burned alive. It, it, it would, uh, the, the normal way of death would be stoning, that Israel joins in their judgment, agreeing with God that this person deserves death. But then the body would not be buried, as was the normal custom, returned to the ground and to the Lord, but it would be burned as a sign of the judgment of God. And so, as the daughter of the priest, she has a higher calling as well, held to a higher standard. The third category of chapter 21 is, uh, applies to physical wholeness, unblemished service. Verse 16, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. And then the text, God goes on lists some of the blemishes. A, a blind, lame, mutilated face, deformed limb, if they've been uh, injured in some way. Uh, there's a whole list of things here that would prohibit someone from offering sacrifices. They're allowed to eat the sacrifices. They're still priests, part of the priestly family, uh, so they have the privileges of, 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 of eating that food. They do not have the privilege of offering it. They can't go to the altar. They cannot go into the, the, the most holy place. And the, answer, the reason is because they are blemished. Now, again, that seems unkind. Uh, how does that make sense? Well, we need to remember God is, is not 
despising them or looking down on them. Uh, in, in a previous chapter, 19, we were told uh, that the people were not allowed to curse the deaf or put an obstacle in the path of the blind. Why? Because God sees and God cares. There's a special compassion and mercy God has for those with special needs. So how does, how does this make sense? Well, the best explanation that I've seen of this, uh, I heard in a sermon by Danny, Danny Hyde, and he makes the point that uh, the tabernacle there in Israel was an earthly type of both Eden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve and God had lived in, in perfect health and harmony, but more importantly, it is a type of the heavenly tabernacle, the place where God and man will live together in perfect health and harmony. And so the requirement of uh, an unblemished priesthood was to highlight what the world was meant to be and what the world one day will be. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no blindness and no sickness There'll be no paralyzed limbs, no defects, no weakness, no disability of any sort. Only whole, healthy bodies and perfect, healthy souls. And you see, Israel, uh, and, and specifically the priests, are called to be representatives then in this dark, disfigured, fallen world of another world, another kingdom, a place of wholeness and beauty and truth and light. And that's the reason, that's, that's the purpose of this disqualification here. God is, is, is helping Israel and the priests remember there's, there's something more coming. Well, if these are the rules for God's priests and the high priests, how does this apply to our life today? Well, I have three applications. The first is... Um, the principle of greater responsibility and higher standards. I'm, I'm not going to take a long time on this because it's, it's not the primary point, but it is a point and that, uh, it, that's picked up in the New Testament, and that is that God calls leaders to a higher standard, a higher moral responsibility. James 3, verse 1, uh, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So the New Testament makes it very clear that those who've been called to be pastors or uh, elders, officers of some sort in the church, are held to a higher moral standard. And you'll find when Paul talks about those standards, like in, in Titus uh, chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 3, he'll use categories that reflect Leviticus 21. And so he'll talk about, you need to be a husband of one wife, your children need to be free from the charge of debauchery or insubordination. That's right out of Leviticus 21. Um, the, the men need to be above reproach, unstained, unblemished. Pastors and elders are called to be models in the church of what living for Christ looks like, what being set apart to God looks like so that the congregation can follow. If you want to pray uh, for your pastors and your elders and, and your deacons, please pray for our holiness. And I know that many of you do. Uh, it, is, it is a critical part of our calling. Well, the, um, the, the, the primary point of this text is not just about um, pastors, but about our great high priest, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus himself said, these things are written about me. These things are written about me. Jesus, of course, friends, is the ultimate 
sanctified one, the, the one who has been set apart, Peter will say, from before the foundation of the world. Jesus uh, is chosen out of all the countless throngs of angels and men, of all the beings who've ever existed and will ever exist in the history of the universe, there's one man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed, set apart by God to be his true high priest. There's none other. No one else has been set apart to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one else has been set apart for the task of rescuing sinners, rebels, rescuing us from the wrath of God and redeeming a whole world ruined by sin. There's just one man, Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved but the name of Jesus. And he is the perfect perfect high priest, fully devoted to his calling, completely without stain of sin and unblemished. Have you ever thought of the fact that every day of his life, Jesus carried your eternal well-being in his hands? Every day. Every moment of his life was a moment of eternal significance for us. Our eternal destiny stood in the balance every, with every choice he made, every word he spoke, every act that he committed. Jesus had to be perfect. We needed him to be perfect. We needed him to be completely set apart to God and devoted to his task. Hebrews 7 verse 26 says, It was indeed fitting, necessary, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's what we needed. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus was all that. Devoted to the Father so that he says, It's my food to do the will of him who sent me. Devoted to the Father, so he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, who was obedient even unto death on a cross, completely devoted to God. We needed him to be that, and he was. And we needed him to be unstained by any sin of any sort. And that's, of course, what Jesus was. Never once he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. We needed a priest without blemish, and that's what Jesus was. Peter will talk about Jesus as the lamb without spot, without blemish. He's both a high priest without a blemish and the sacrifice with no blemish. That's who Jesus is, and that Jesus, friends, has accomplished our salvation, and that Jesus has called us out of this world to be set apart to another world, to be set apart to God. You see, this text applies to you. To be a Christian is to be a priest. Not in the way that you mediate for sinners between, right, between God and men, but, but you are a priest in that you've been called, Peter will say, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great high priest, but we as priests... A holy priesthood offer up spiritual sacrifices through Jesus to God. So in Jesus, we've been called by God to a life set apart. We don't belong to this world. We don't belong. 
We are called to live a life, to walk in a manner, Ephesians 4.1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. There is a greater priority placed on your life than the priority of the American dream, the priority of, of getting married and having kids and owning your own home and, 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 and having a retirement account. None of those things which are bad, all of them blessings from God. It is just not the priority of your life. You've been called to something else, something more, something vastly more significant. You've been called to live the one life that you have for the glory of God, to shine like stars in this dark world. And that means you're going to be, we are called to live a life that's devoted to God, that, that God matters to us more than family. One of the idols of West Michigan is the idol of family. Where people say, well, you know, I, I'd like to do that, but family comes first. No, family does not come first. Not if you're a Christian. Do you have a stewardship with your family? Absolutely. Are you going to answer to God for how you carried out that stewardship with your family? Absolutely. Does God care about how you... Deal with your family? Absolutely. But Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He claims priority. He claims priority. We're to live unstained lives, unstained by the world. We're called to, to, to live lives of holy sexuality. To, to not even speak of the things that the world does, much less sing the songs and watch the movies that celebrate it. We're called to live unblemished lives, to live a life in this dark and fallen world that points to another world, another kingdom, a world of wholeness and beauty and truth and light. And so Paul will say in Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's our calling. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is what Jesus Christ died to accomplish in our life, to make us his holy, set-apart people. And our calling then must mold our living. What are we willing to say no to in this world simply because we've been called to the service of God? What are we willing to say yes to in this world simply because we've been called to a higher calling than the calling of the world? That we've been set apart by God and for God, for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, for the cause of God. How is that calling going to be reflected in our life? I don't have all the answers for that. The Holy Spirit will lead you as you ask the questions. But I would just encourage you to get on your knees before the Lord. Say, I recognize I have been set apart. God, may my life reflect that truth. Lead me and guide me in every way that will reflect that beautiful truth. I belong to God. Amen. Oh God, our Father in heaven, I thank you that you've called us out of the darkness of this world and into your marvelous light. I thank you, Lord, that you've set us apart. We don't deserve it. We belong with the screaming masses who are pursuing pleasures and, and passing treasures, who have no 
concept of the glory of eternal things and and their need for a Savior. And Father, we would be just like and with them except for your grace. And Lord, we have a, a burden for those around us who are not able to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and who are wasting their precious life in things that will never satisfy and that will drag them to hell. And I, oh God, I just pray that you would burn upon our minds and hearts that, that we've been set apart. We don't belong to this world. We don't belong to its music. We don't belong to its entertainment. We don't belong to its, its, its priorities, its pleasures. We don't belong, Lord, to the life that maybe we decide is, is, is worthwhile. But, we, we, Lord, we, we belong to God. And we exist for the, for the glory of God and the purpose of God and the cause of God. And so, Lord, I pray that all that we do in our work, in our, in our marriages, in our relationships, all that we do in our, in our entertainment, all that we do as we, as we buy houses and, and build wealth, all by your grace, all good gifts, Lord, but may all of it be saturated with the truth of our calling that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called to the praise and honor of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to the message this morning for the cause of Christ the King.
I just thought of one more truth, very brief. But do you remember who Jesus says, go out and invite to the wedding feast? The lame, the blind, the crippled, all the blemished people. And let that be the gospel to you today. Jesus Christ calls you and me, blemished people, all of us, to come and receive all of the grace he has for us and then to go invite all the other unblemished, all the other blemished people in our lives to come and follow the Son. Amen? Amen. And so as you go to the mission field, go with the grace of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.